0: This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Or you'll go to Hajj and your Hajj group leader um, you know is telling you something different than what you heard and in fact you might even be in my group in particular and there's another Sheikh that's leading a different package but then in Mina all the different you know mashaykh get mixed up and so suddenly you have a lot of panic and confusion because one Sheikh is saying I need to do this the other Sheikh is saying I need to do that. It is absolutely crucial that you stick to one scholar throughout the entire Hajj process. Before and during, you need to make sure that you're sticking to one scholar. Otherwise, you're going to be in panic mode. Uh, I can always tell people that before you get to Minna, that in Minna in particular, in those tents, that's where everyone starts to get into a lot of confusion because everyone gets exposed to everybody else. And so you're going to hear from this teacher and hear from that and so it's really important for you to understand, inshallah ta'ala, stick to one scholar throughout the entire process of hajj. Um, and that starts from now, because you know a lot of times you go to a fiqh website, you don't know what type of website you're on, uh, and you get really, really, really confused. Now, the, the guide that we're going through is hajj step-by-step. So it's actually on Hilal Hajj's website. So you could go to hajjpackageusa.com and you can print out uh, the hajj step-by-step, the guide that I'm actually going through. Uh, I put it together a few years ago, inshallah ta'ala. It's something that you could actually keep with you uh, throughout the Hajj process. Um, you know, just in case you, you you forget something that we went over here, inshallah, you could carry it around with you. Um, you know, I, there's no app for this in particular, but you could have it on your phone, inshallah ta'ala, so that you, you can go back to it whenever you need to throughout the Hajj process. But anyway, uh, before you go, there are some just important essentials to keep in mind when you're talking about hajj. Number one, obviously renew your intentions. But what does renew your intentions mean when it comes to hajj? There are many stories that we have from our pious predecessors of people that actually went to hajj and their hajj was not accepted. Whereas there were other people that made the intention to go to hajj and they were not able to but Allah accepted their hajj. Your intention is everything here. As one of the, the Salaf uh, said, one of the pious predecessors said, how many bodies make tawaf around the Kaaba without hearts, while others have their hearts making tawaf around the Kaaba without bodies? You know? So some people are there and they're doing tawaf, but their hearts are not there. Whereas some people are watching it on TV, they're, they're following along the way, they really wanted to go to Hajj, but they were financially not capable of doing so, they were stopped by some other reason. But their hearts are there, and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts their hajj from them, even though they were not able uh, to get there. So there are many different stories that we can, that we can take from and draw from that I, don't, that I frankly don't have time to go into right now. But realize the, the, the importance of really having this intention here. You also might be going to hajj, but you don't make it to hajj. You know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes your life before then, we're not guaranteed to live for another two weeks. So to have that sincerity insha'Allah ta'ala In that intention to actually make hajj Is the way that you assure yourself of the reward Obviously why you're doing hajj You tell yourself why you're doing hajj from now You're doing it for the sake of Allah You're doing it for forgiveness You're doing it to fulfill an obligation Try to really get your sincerity down now Because if you don't have your sincerity with you You're not going to be able to tolerate the difficulties of hajj And you could go there and spend all this money And spend all that time and come back absolutely empty handed Uh, You know, I'll give you guys one story which is very very uh, powerful Uh, Abdullah ibn Mubarak rahimahullah ta'ala Who used to go out to Hajj every other year Um, And in one particular year He went out to Hajj And he saw this dream of his And in this dream he saw two angels Discussing the situation of of the Hajjaj that year And one angel saying to the other angel you know subhanallah out of all of these people that come that have come to Hajj not a single one of them was worthy of acceptance So Abdullah ibn Mubarak rahimahullah he woke up and he was you know he was sweating he was distressed by what he saw in his dream and then he went you know he, he prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he went back to sleep and he saw a dream and the other angel responded and said but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave all of them and accepted all of their Hajj because of Ali ibn al-Mufiq from ash a man by the name of Ali ibn al-Mufiq from Asham, uh, and he was actually from Damascus. So he woke up, and Abdullah Mubarak went to the people who came from Syria that year, and he said, "Is Ali ibn al-Mufiq amongst you?" He didn't know who he was. They said, "Who's you know?" They said, uh, "Ali ibn al-Mufiq. You mean you know the guy that repairs people's shoes?" And he said, "I don't know who he is. Tell me about him." So he said, "Ali ibn al-Mufiq is someone that repairs shoes." In Damascus and he's been trying to save up money His entire life to go to Hajj And so finally this year he saved up enough money But when he went to bid farewell to his neighbors He found them in poverty So he gave his money to his neighbors And then he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala To accept from him He was very distressed that he couldn't go out to Hajj that year But he thought he did the right thing You know that his neighbors were really in need Of that money at that time And he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept SubhanAllah and the sincerity of his question or, Or the sincerity of his request that he wanted to be accepted by Allah was so great that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted obviously his Hajj and on, and because of that acceptance everyone got the benefit of that so this man didn't even go right and this is just a story to remind ourselves of that you know it's really about it's really about the the uh, the degree inshallah ta'ala of which you want to be forgiven by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so renew your intentions um, this Number two is meeting your friends and family and asking for forgiveness. You don't want to be held back you know, when it comes to your, your, your hajj or anything because you have a grudge with someone or because you've, you've, uh, you've hurt somebody or oppressed someone or transgressed against someone. This is the same message that we give before Ramadan. And hajj is, is you know, a, a far more rare uh, ibadah than Ramadan is. You're not going to do hajj as much as you're going to do Ramadan. But we know that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned to us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would see two people that are quarreling and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would not look at their deeds until they reconcile amongst one another, until they make peace um, amongst themselves. So this is the time to really ask people for forgiveness. Uh, If you know that there's something between you and somebody else, some some sort of transgression. You don't want to go to Hajj and then have that all held back from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you harmed someone and your ego prevented you from seeking forgiveness. So truly seek forgiveness from people inshallah before you go. Number three is to pay all debts. So seeking forgiveness is paying debts in the spiritual sense. Uh, you know, Number three is to financially pay those debts uh, if you can inshallah ta'ala. Now, just from a, a, a fiqh perspective, a jurisprudence perspective, someone might ask, can I go to Hajj if I have a debt, uh, a revolving debt? So, for example, I pay you know monthly on my house. You know, can I still go to Hajj having that debt? The answer is yes, because your Hajj, going to Hajj, will not affect your monthly payment, if you will. Now, let's say I, you know I owe somebody money, but at the same time, you know I want to go to Hajj. In that situation, you know, you, you want to make sure obviously that, that you know, th- that the person that you owe money to is aware of that. You know, and you need to seek their permission in a way. And, and what that means is that they have a greater right to be paid back than you going to hajj at that point. So you want to make sure if you owe somebody money and you're able to go to hajj that they understand that you seek their, for, that their, their permission to do so. And that it's not going to lead to an unnecessary delay in you paying that person back. So you still should go to Hajj, inshallah ta'ala, if you can. But at the same time, you know, especially with revolving debt, which is the nature of most debt that we have today. Uh, if there's something that's due, then make sure that this isn't going to lead to a delay and that you sought permission uh, from the debtor. Uh, number four is to prepare your wasiyah, to have your will done. This is something that's obligatory on, on a Muslim regardless, to have their will done. But realize that. You're literally going to Hajj with this mindset that you're not coming back. That's, that's how it works. That's part of the spirituality of it. موتوا, that you die before you actually die. You are mimicking the stages of death. So you really need to get your will in place before you leave, inshallah ta'ala, to Hajj. And that's an obligation uh, with or without Hajj. I also hear, have here uh, that there are two very important apps uh, to download. There's an app called Hajj Salam. And there is another app called MyDua, Fortress of the Muslim. Um, so Hajj Salam is one of those step-by-step Hajj uh, apps. It's pretty good if you're going to have a smartphone with you. And another app is My Du'a, And My Du'a basically is just Fortress of the Muslim. It's a little du'a book which is Fortress of the Muslim, uh, authentic supplications from the Prophet ﷺ, uh, from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, Hisn al-Muslim. So there's an app for it, and if you don't want to have the app, you don't have a smartphone with you during that time, then just buy the little book. Uh, it's a little handbook, uh, Fortress of the Muslim. So it has, especially, it has the du'as for Hajj and, and, and Umrah, and it has just different du'as that you can benefit from uh, in different categories as you're going through the process. It really comes in handy, for example, on the day of Arafah. You know, if you're looking for, you know, just different du'as to to, to go through. Because believe me on the day of Arafah People do run out of du'as at some point You know it's a few hours So especially if that's your first time And you're not accustomed to making du'a For six hours straight Right You might run out of du'a at some point But you don't want to stop making du'a And so if you want to actually like Take a moment to read some of the authentic uh, Supplications of the Prophet For different things It's a very good resource to have inshallah ta'ala. Uh, Some of your preparation tips um, from from a prescription medication, and I'm not a doctor here, but um, you know there are two 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 drugs that you're going to hear about quite a bit in Hajj. One of them is amox- amoxicillin, and the other one's zithromycin or zithromax. So people would be prescribing that like right and left, obviously because people tend to get sick uh, before the Hajj days actually start. Uh, especially people that are overzealous and try to overexert themselves before the hajj days actually start. They go so strong from, you know, the first of the Hijjah until the hajj days that they're just absolutely exhausted and worn out and sick by the time the actual hajj process starts. Um, but, you know, it's good to have over, over-the-counter over medication just for different things, inshallah ta'ala, uh, to really try to boost your immune system as much as possible, so to really be regular with your vitamin C Um you know, and and you could have your your Sudafed and your chloroseptic spray and whatever it may be uh, during that time inshallah ta'ala. Vaseline to apply to the inner thighs for the men wearing ihram in particular, that's very very important. It is going to be your best friend inshallah, so make sure that you get that uh, that you have that before you go or you get it over there uh, before we, you know, if if you've got a Medina first package before you head out to Mecca, make sure that you actually have that. you know, just be conscious of the type of clothes that you're going to wear while you're there. Having those light material thobes um, and just having those cheap plastic slippers um, that you can buy even in the street over there in Medina, you know, in particular, those are those come in handy while you're there. Even if you're not typically, especially to the brothers now, by the way, if you're not typically a thob person, you're not typically someone that would wear one of these, it's very convenient with uh, the type of weather over there and the type of environment uh, for you to just have those light material thobes inshallah ta'ala to wear um, While you're going around And of course you could buy some of those when you're actually in Medina uh, When it comes to your Ihram towels Okay And they literally are towels Alright um, If you're flying to Jeddah First Because if you're flying to Jeddah, obviously You're going to need to be in Ihram on the plane Because you're flying over so you're going to land in your ihram. Um, make sure you, you pack your ihram in your carry-on bag because that happens to a ton of people that their ihram gets lost in their luggage and they you know they connect somewhere on the way and then they end up wondering where their ihram is. So make sure that you pack it in your carry-on, inshaAllah ta'ala. Otherwise, you can buy it in Medina. So there's no short... I, I guarantee you Medina will not run out of ihram uh, in, in the hajj days. Um... So that's just something to keep in mind over there. To you know, you can buy so you can wear as many ihrams as you you want. Meaning, it's you know, your ihram is a state. It's not necessary. It's not the towels or the clothes that you know the towels that you're going to be wearing. So you can have two or three uh, pairs of it. So that when it gets really dirty, you know, and you're not going to have access to you know uh, to to get it washed, then you can easily just put on a, a different set. And obviously it's good to have an emergency backup one Just in case uh, You know something happens to uh, The one that you're wearing inshallah ta'ala um, You know they also have those Ihram belts which are very very helpful To hold your Ihram in place Those are totally uh, permissible uh, They have safety pins That you can actually buy here as well But just keeping safety pins inshallah ta'ala Especially to hold your Ihram in place That's something that can uh, That can definitely be used One thing I would avoid Uh and the vast majority of scholars don't permit this Are the ihrams that have the buttons in place So they seem very convenient But it actually defeats the purpose of ihram in some way To have ihrams that are like shirts That have buttons and things of that sort So it's better to leave it all together And at the most you could use some safety pins Inshallah ta'ala, to hold it um, in place You know when you need to move it around And things of that sort um, One thing as well So, so you know don't bring a lot of money. Don't bring a lot of credit cards. Don't bring a, You don't need to have all of those things. Just have one card and have a little bit of cash, inshallah, to get yourself through. It becomes very inconvenient. I tell people this, and I know that it sounds crazy, but if you can go to Hajj with a carry on and make it out with a carry on, you've succeeded. <laughs> I never do a suitcase to Hajj. Uh, the sisters are looking at me like, that's, that's, <laughs> that's you. But <laughs> no, but I'm serious the less you can the lighter you can go to hajj the better the lighter you can go to hajj the better because it's going to be such a hassle with your luggage throughout the process luggage often gets lost at some point during the hajj going to hajj or whatever it may be the lighter you can go the better if you can figure it out in a carry on alhamdulillah and you can buy you know some you know so especially for the brothers some cheap thobes over there whatever it may be to get yourself by but try to go light um inshallah ta'ala Um, There's a hajj guide that's going to be given to you at the airport. Uh, It might, you know, there might be some different opinions to some of the things that you've heard. Um, In this lecture, it'll be very minor. But again, you need to stick to one. Uh, But to have something with you, inshallah ta'ala. So whether it's this hajj step by step, or something with you for the different steps is something that's good for you, inshallah ta'ala. I definitely recommend having hand sanitizer. Uh, Unscented, obviously, for the time of your ihram even if it's slightly scented it's not a big deal if you use it in your ihram alright so because nothing is absolutely unscented um, but you know some even if it's a very very slight scent it's not like perfume it's like a very slight scent and inshallah ta'ala it's fine but i definitely recommend um, a person having that inshallah ta'ala uh... you don't have to go loaded with it you can buy some in medina inshallah ta'ala um, You know, having bags And you're not going to find toilet paper over there In many places So just having that in place, inshallah ta'ala You can get that from Medina if you're starting off in Medina as well Um, One thing that you're also going to see Are those different tablets Or Gatorade packets or whatever it may be Those different rehydration tablets You know, those really do come in handy And usually what ends up happening Is you have three or four people that brought You know, some rehydration tablets Or things of that sort that are sort of sharing with the rest of the group. But obviously, if everybody's counting on someone else to do that, then they're not going to do that. But, you know, it's very important to avoid dehydration, obviously, with the long walks. It is extremely hot. uh, Extremely, extremely, extremely hot. Last year was ridiculous. Every single day was well over 100 degrees. And obviously, a lot of walking and crowds and things of that sort. So it's important for you to keep that in mind, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, for Muzdarifa, there are no beds in Muzdarifa. There are no accommodations there. So to have what's called a yoga mat. Now, over there, there's a store called Bin Dawood that you're going to see in different places. So if you're going to Medina first or whatever it may be, even Mecca first, to have a little mat, you know, a little yoga mat for yourself, inshallah ta'ala. Something to spread out on the day of Muzdarifa, uh to sleep on, you know, it's also something to keep in, in mind. And one of the most helpful things you can have is a shoe bag. Those really tiny bags that you can put on your back, inshallah, and carry your shoes because you're not going to be able to put your shoes um, you know, in different places and come back to them often, it, it, especially in Mecca. So, to have a shoe bag is really important. Ask your group if they're providing you one. Okay, If your group is not providing you one, buy one. It's worth the investment. It does not violate your ihram because just those strings, you just kind of put them on your back and you keep your shoes with you um, at all times, inshallah. At all times, inshallah. Ta'ala. Um, very thick socks for tawaf outside of ihram now sisters can wear socks even inside you know in their ihram brothers for the time that you're going to be doing tawaf and you're going to be doing sa'i and so on and so forth outside uh, of ihram it will come in handy to have some really thick socks inshallah ta'ala or something that can protect your feet because you're going to get blisters and you're going to get you know you're going to have a lot of those issues especially with the way that the the surfaces over there with all the construction and stuff like that i know they've cleaned up most of it but you're walking you're walking on stones then you're walking on this then you're walking on that so make sure you have that inshallah ta'ala to keep yourself um you know to keep yourself uh protected um saudi sim cards how does that work Earthman? it's no all right So Saudi SIM cards have gotten very complicated recently because they like require uh, you know, you to have your passport. They require you to go through. Okay, so have a copy of your passport and a copy of your visa on hand inshallah ta'ala because obviously they take your passport when you get to the airport. So to get a Saudi SIM card, you, you actually have to show that uh, to get that inshallah ta'ala. Um, but that's just one thing there. Number 17 is don't be a tourist or a photographer. That's really important. I'll sort of talk about that, inshallah ta'ala. But seriously, chill with the pictures while you're there. You're there for hajj. Don't take too many pictures, inshallah. Uh, Make two copies of your passport. Keep one at home, you know, over over here um, and with someone in the U.S. And then keep one with you because your passports go through all sorts of processing. So it does come in handy to really have a copy of your passport with you, inshallah ta'ala.
1: Number 19
0: patience and a positive attitude there is no such thing as a 100% smooth hajj in fact my experience is that people that go with the super vip groups and stuff like that where you know they're supposed to bring the kaaba to the hotel and you know all that stuff you pay like 20 grand or something like that so that you can be nice and comfy throughout hajj they're often the most angry and disgruntled groups because they're so disappointed Because there is no way to have a completely smooth hajj Things are chaotic You've got millions of people in this tiny area From all over the world Things are all over the place right. It's never going to go your way That's actually part of the ibadah of hajj Seriously, is that when you get there No matter how much you've prepared yourselves You're going to have logistical hiccups Throughout the process No matter what group you're with No matter what package you're with it's going to happen, so really have that mindset that no matter what you do, that's going to happen regardless, and it's part of the test of your patience um, in hajj. Lastly, uh, don't do what everybody else is doing at hajj because a lot of it is wrong. That's sort of like our, actually most of it is wrong. That's sort of our safety net, and I see that happen to every single group. Every time you get there is that you get in there and you, you jump into that mess, and then you realize that 90% of people are doing it, you know, doing this, so I should be doing that as well. So people are doing tawaf and then they stop at Maqam Ibrahim and they, they decide to just start rubbing on Maqam Ibrahim and rubbing their head all over and stuff like that. So you might think, okay, well that's what I need to be doing as well. Or I need to kiss it like the black stone when I go by. Uh, you know, people when they pass the black stone, it's you know, you know, subhanAllah, it's a very simple gesture that we're supposed to, to give to acknowledge it. But people start going, you know, and all types of stuff like that and they start like sending all types of peace signs to the Blackstone and talking to it and taking a moment to interact from from a distance and stuff like that. Like every time there's this traffic, as soon as you get to that area, you know, that part of Tawaf, realize again, people, they're very simple people, illiterate people, you know, in many situations. And I'm not saying that as an insult. Just people that are, you know, very simple, that, that are, you know, coming from all over the world and they're just, you know, immersed in their ibadah if you will And they're also doing what everybody else is doing So don't do what everybody else is doing Seriously Don't even look at what everybody You need to know what you're doing And there are going to be times you're going to question yourself Because you're like wait a minute I wasn't told that I was supposed to do this or do that You weren't supposed to do this or that right?" So just make sure that you you keep to your own um, Your own knowledge And what you've studied inshallah ta'ala uh, With your group leader as you go Alright so let's get into the fiqh of it some of the important definitions uh, for you to keep in mind Because I'm going to be using these words And you're going to hear these words throughout the, uh, you know, throughout the hajj process The first one is Rukun uh, Rukun means pillar And Rukun literally means an act that is obligatory And if it's not done, the hajj is invalid So for example, Arafah is a Rukun right? Arafah is a Rukun of hajj if you don't have arafah you don't have hajj you can't do a sacrifice in place of it because it's a rukun it's an it's a pillar of hajj the hajj is invalid uh, without it tawaf ifada the main tawaf you know that uh, of hajj the tawaf of hajj that is a rukun of hajj so if it's not done then the hajj is invalid altogether so it's just something to keep in mind the second word is wajib wajib means in this situation something that's obligatory but if it's not done the hajj is still valid and a person needs to offer a sacrifice or a fidyah. okay so it's mandatory but it's not to the degree of a rukun a pillar a pillar cannot be substantiated by anything else something that's wajib can be substantiated um, by something else uh, which is a sacrifice or a fidya In its place in, you know, in Which you know, you'll have a lot of that uh, During and after the hajj The third thing obviously is a sunnah A sunnah in this situation Is something that if a person does it They're rewarded If you don't do it You're not punished Your hajj is valid And there's no need of fidya A lot of times people just bunch it all up All of the rites of hajj into one big thing So for example if they miss a sunnah Then they'll want to do a sacrifice And that's not part of the sunnah, to just keep on doing sacrifices and stuff like that, just in case, because I don't know where this falls. So a sunnah, which is a large group of the acts associated with hajj, you know, is, is something that's good to do, but you don't have to do anything if you're not able to do it. Uh, then you have manasik. Manasik refer to the rituals of the five days of hajj in particular. There are five principal days of hajj. Now obviously your entire journey is hajj, but there are five days of hajj and the monastic are the rituals associated uh, with that. Fidya is your is your makeup, right? It's your compensation. So if you miss something in hajj that is wajib, what did we say wajib was? Something that's mandatory, but it can be made up if you miss it with something that's w- w- with a fidya. A fidya is the mandatory sacrifice done if you miss a wajib. So if you miss a wajib of hajj, all right, listen very carefully. You have three options. A fidya can be one of three things. You can offer an animal sacrifice. all right. You can offer an animal sacrifice. You'll, you'll actually see booths there like in some of the, the malls or some of the areas, whatever it is, to actually have that fulfilled. I think there is a website, there is an app for that as well. <laughs> like a sacrifice can be done but Allahi.org, I know Allahi.org does it, um, but you can offer a sacrifice, that sacrifice does not have to be restricted to uh, Mecca or Medina okay, but a sacrifice has to be done in that place a second thing is that you can fast three days after you get home so you now owe for each one of them, if you don't want to do a sacrifice or if you can't do a sacrifice you you, you have to fast three days when you return home the third thing is that you could feed 6 needy people which is very easy to do in Hajj. Right? So you could actually buy, you know, 6 meals and you could serve them to 6 needy people in Hajj. All of these are permissible ways to deal with a missed wajib. And there is no preference in order. Okay, you guys understand that so you can choose any one of them inshallah ta'ala and they can be uh, a form of sacrifice in the presence of a missed uh, wajib Or something that requires um, a sacrifice in that regard uh, Ihram Many people you know, think about Ihram And they think about the garments themselves Ihram is a state of sanctity Ihram literally means to be in a state of prohibition A state of sanctity um, So it's the state that's mandatory for Umrah And for some parts of Hajj And it has its conditions and its prohibitions Miqat, the word miqat, is the station from which you will make your intention for Umrah and Hajj. Okay, miqat is the place from which you make your intention for Umrah um, and/or Hajj. Uh, The next three words that are on here are the three possible forms of Hajj. Okay, Um, Tamattu'. And you're gonna, you know, I remember at least the first time I went to Hajj and you know, I guess, I don't, 2006, the first time I went to Hajj, I remember that people were fighting over tamattu' quran tamattu' qiran. quran it just broke out into a fight, right? <laughs> what do we do? What type of Hajj do we do? And so on and so forth. Uh, tamat, the, there are three forms of Hajj here, or three ways to go into Hajj or enter into the intention of Hajj. One of them is tamattu' quran and Ifrat. The the way that you are most likely going to do In the most preferred way is tamattu' Tamattu' literally means pleasure Temporary, right? It's with ease The reason why you do that Is because a person enters through the station So let's say you're going from Medina um, Which is where most of us will be Where at least our group You know, my group will be going through Many hajj groups will go through the station of Dhul-Hulayfa As you pass through Or when you get to the station, to the miqat, you make the intention for tamattur. Now tamattur means that you will do umrah and hajj with a break from your ihram in between. Why is that important to understand? What that means is that I go in with the intention of tamattur. So as soon as I finish my umrah, I've made the intention for umrah for now. Once I finish my Umrah, I can exit my Ihram until the days of Hajj start. This is especially necessary if you're going to Mecca a few days before the actual Hajj days. Alright, that you'll do your Umrah, you'll get out of your Ihram, you'll do the, you'll, you'll go through the steps of exiting Ihram, and then once the Hajj days start again, then you'll take up the intention of Hajj from the place that you are in Mecca. Okay? So this is the most preferred form of Hajj To enter with the intention of Umrah Do your Umrah Take a break Get out of your Ihram And then enter into Ihram once again On the 8th of Dhul-Hijjah When the days of Hajj start Alright Now let's say that you're going to Mecca On the 7th day of Dhul-Hijjah Or on the 8th day of Dhul-Hijjah And it's impractical for you to go do Umrah, get out of your Ihram, and then do Ihram again. Qur'an means combined. So Qur'an is a form of Hajj, where from the Miqat, from the station, you make the intention for both Umrah and Hajj with one Ihram. Because it's too difficult, or, or it's inconvenient for you to exit Ihram, and go back into Ihram again. Alright? So that's called Qur'an. Ifrad is the Hajj of the people of Mecca. The Hajj of the people of Mecca, right? Which is a Hajj without Umrah, which 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 is why it's called a which is singular. Okay, so they simply make the intention for Hajj from where they are once the days of Hajj start, and they don't need to do a Umrah um, that is with it. So uh, the last two words here, Hadi. Hadi is the sacrifice that's due on the day of Eid, if you're doing or so it's the it's the the uh, you know the full animal sacrifice. Uh, it's going to be done by somebody else, most likely. You know, I, it's really difficult for a person to do the sacrifice themselves. Um, you know, you can either you'll either have a, cu- a coupon to verify it. Um, in the case of our group, we actually know the person that does the slaughter, so you know we pay that person and then that person slaughters on behalf of everyone in the group, we get a phone call that our sacrifice has been done. So hadi is the sacrifice that's done on the day of Eid uh, for the people that are doing either tamatur or qiran. Okay? Now, uh, talbiya obviously is the chant, labayka Allahumma labayka, labayka la sharika mulk la uh The very famous chant which you're going to be making inshaAllah ta'ala throughout the days and throughout the processes of umrah um, and hajj. All right, so what's the step by step now inshallah ta'ala for a person as they're getting into the time as they're getting into the process of hajj? The sunnahs of entering ihram in the, mi- at the miqat. These are the sunnahs now of entering into the state of ihram at the miqat. A person, you know, both men and women, with uh, bathe themselves. So you take a shower that can be done at the hotel before you actually get to the uh, to the miqat, to the station, um, trimming the mustache, trimming the the, uh, the, the armpit hair, uh, pubic hair, and nails. Applying perfume to the body. Um, this is particularly for the men, you know, here to apply perfume to the body, not to the ihram itself, but to the body. You know, to clean yourself really well and to apply perfume to the body, and then you can wear the ihram towels um, on top. At that point you make the intention If you're passing through the Miqat in Medina You can do all of those things before you leave Medina But without the intention of entering into Ihram. And then once you get to the Miqat You make the intention What that means is You do all of your preparation at the hotel Once you get to the Miqat All you're going to do is at that point That's where you make your intention for Umrah um, And Hajj if you're doing Quran. Right? So, but for the most part, if you're doing tamatu'r, are you guys lost here yet or not? All right, good. Tamattur which is what most people will be doing, then you'll make the intention for umrah. But the point is, you can do everything in Medina when you get to the station, when you get to the miqat, you simply make your intention at that point. Now, what if you're passing through the miqat on the plane? What do you do? You go take a shower on the plane, start trimming your, you know, go through all that stuff on the plane, what do you do? Do it before your flight. You can wear your ihram. And while you're flying over the miqat, usually the pilot will announce it. right? And the pilot will let you know, and it's you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes before landing, that you're passing over the miqat as you're getting into uh, into Jeddah. All right? So at that point, what you do is, you make the intention for ihram. If you are doing tamattu' Alright, which is Umrah without hajj Because you're going to take a break between Umrah and hajj Alright, so if you're doing tamattu' At that point you will say لَبَّيْكَ Allahumma Umrah, Or لَبَّيْكَ bi Umrah. Alright, both of them are fine That here I come to you O Allah, with Umrah So you're going to announce the intention For Umrah Alright لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ بِعُمْرًا لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ Umrah, <بِعُمْرَة> And so you, you would then continue on with the talbiyah But the point is at that point you will make the intention verbally insha'Allah ta'ala for Umrah. If you're doing Umrah and Hajj together, so if you're doing Quran, you're going in on the 7th or the 8th of Dhul-Hijjah, <coughs> then you would say لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ wa وَحَجْجًا so you would say, Bi Umrah wa hajj, or Here I come to you, O Allah, with Umrah and Hajj, because you're combining both intentions in one. Otherwise, you're simply going to say, Labaika Allahumma bi Umrah. If you're doing Hajj on behalf of someone else, now, the major condition to do Hajj on behalf of someone else is that you've already done Hajj for yourself. Then you will say, Labaika an, and then you'll name the person. So لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ la لَبَيْكَ عَنْ And then name the person Alright Now uh, let's say by the way if you're doing Tamatur, You're doing umrah and you're doing hajj separately And you've done umrah in the past But you haven't done hajj in the past Maybe this is a little too confusing right now But I'll just put it out there inshaAllah And then I'll, we'll probably revisit it if someone has a detailed question I can, you know, if I'm doing Tamatur, I'm separating the intention for Umrah and Hajj. And many of the fuqaha, including Dr. Salah Hassawi, would allow a person to actually do the Umrah on behalf of someone and the Hajj on behalf of someone else or the Hajj on behalf of yourself. So because it's two separate intentions at that point, you can do this on behalf of someone and this not necessarily on behalf of someone or vice versa. So if I'm doing Hajj on behalf of my mother, and I've done hajj and umrah multiple times in the past, I could choose to do umrah on behalf of my father and hajj on behalf of my mother. I can make the intention on behalf of one person for umrah, on on behalf of the, the other person for hajj if I'm doing tamattu' because it's two separate intentions, two separate declarations, and there's a break in the ihram in between. You guys understand that? Okay, good. Um, so at, at that point, you would announce your intention. And then you could you would pray two rak'ahs. Now there's a difference of opinion about the two rak'ahs here: whether the Prophet ﷺ taught us to pray two rak'ahs for ihram as a sunnah for ihram, or the Prophet ﷺ simply would you know is is teaching us to pray those two rak'ahs because they come as a sunnah for something else. All right, but the majority of the scholars would say that there is actually a sunnah for ihram, two rak'ahs for ihram. And it's obviously safe, and there's no problem with that. But if you're passing through at the time of salah anyway, so for example, you're going to pray dhuhr asr, then in that situation, many scholars would say that that takes the place um, of ihram, or of any type of turaq as sunnah for ihram, because at the end of the day, it's a sunnah. Alright, so there's no sacrifice in that regard or anything of that sort. Um, but it's it's good inshallah ta'ala to practice that, to pray turaq as inshallah with the intention of, um, uh, of uh, of the talbiya. and basically, what you would do is you get to the miqat, you would pray your two rakahs, and then after you pray your two rakahs, you announce your intention. All right. So you get to the miqat, you pray your two rakahs, and then you would announce your intention after um, those two rakahs. Now, what if you miss this entire process? Let's say that you fell asleep on the plane, and you passed over the miqat, and you woke up and you were already in Jeddah. What do you do? Go back to Miqat. What do you guys think? Or let's say that you're on a bus from Medina. And you knocked out on the bus. You woke up and you're already halfway through. Do you tell the bus driver, go back to Miqat? No, so basically once you've passed the Miqat, if you missed this whole period of making the intention then you'll simply offer a sacrifice. You'll, you'll, you'll offer a fidya. So it's not a rukun of hajj or umrah that the intention be made at the miqat. It's a wajib. So because that wajib has been missed, then a sacrifice, a fidya would be in its place. Okay? Uh, what about a woman that is on her uh, menstrual cycle? Basically, a woman that is in that, in that state will still declare ihram. And she will still do all of the actions except for tawaf. Okay? So she still will do all of the actions except for tawaf. A lot of sisters make the mistake where they say, well, I can't go into ihram right now, I can't do any of these things. No, a woman will still do everything that everyone else is doing, but she will not do salah, and she would not do tawaf when it comes to the actions of hajj or umrah. So she's not going to pray or do tawaf. Now that you're in the state of ihram, you're now in a sanctified state. Now you're subject to a number of prohibitions. Unintentional things are forgiven. The Prophet ﷺ says, <laughs> That a person will be forgiven for what they do out of ignorance, out of forgetfulness, or under compulsion. So, a lot of times, a lot of these things that you're going to see here, you forget that you're in a state of ihram and you do them. Or, you know, you're, you're combing your, your hair, you're combing your beard too hard, and some hairs fall out, whatever happens, and a person starts to panic. And a lot of people react in different ways. Many people, what they do in Umar or Hajj is that they just keep on doing sacrifices, 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 sacrifices. Because if I just keep on doing, I, I, don't, I just want to make sure I don't mess up. So every time I unintentionally do something or I forget something, or some sheikh said that I might have just violated the Haram, I'm just going to go offer a sacrifice. And if there's an app, then you're just murdering sheep on your, on your app on a consistent basis. Like, oops, sorry, another one, another one, another one. Another. Don't, don't have that suit in Allah. Don't think bad of Allah, okay? So if you, if you unintentionally do something or you forget, don't worry about it, inshaAllah ta'ala. You simply proceed. The things that you cannot do intentionally, intentionally, alright? These are what we're talking about here. So for men only... To wear sewn clothes uh, that fit that, that fit any part of your body that fit any limbs of your body. What that means is that when you wear an ihram, it's not fitted to any part of your body, right? It's a garment or it's a towel that you're wearing over yourself. But to wear a shirt is fitted to you, okay? Um, to wear to wear socks is fitted to to, to, to your limbs. So machid here particularly refers to something that's sewn and something that's fitted to your limbs. This is obviously um, only for men. Uh, So, for example, underwear would fall into that prohibition. Um, Underwear is okay though for for someone that has, you know, urinary incontinence or something of that sort. But otherwise, it falls under that prohibition. So a person will only be um, in their ihram. Uh, Blankets are permissible then, Right? because blankets are not fitted to any part of your body, right? Blankets will be worn over you, um, you know, or, or especially if it gets cold in the nighttime. Sometimes in minna, it gets cold at night. For some reason, it will get cold, and especially the way that the, the ACs are, you know, they're blowing on, on half, so half of the tent is really cold and half of the tent's really hot, depending on where you're positioned and where the AC is blowing on you. So it's okay to wrap yourself in blankets inshallah ta'ala or anything of that sort because it doesn't fall under under the category of clothes. Um, Umbrellas are fine, watches are fine, rings are fine, identification tags are fine, uh, stitch belts are fine because those don't fit any part of your body in particular. Sandals uh, or slippers that, that have some stitching on them, they're fine as long as they don't cover your ankle to where they fit your you know they fit your your feet like shoes. They're all fine inshallah taala. All of those don't fall under the category of um, of makheet. Okay, um, if a person has to wear you know uh, some some sort of if a person has to wrap their ankle because they have some sort of sprain or what th- that's fine inshallah taala. If you're gonna wear a shoe bag or some sort of backpack, that's fine. All of those do not fall under the category. Of uh, Now let's say that someone, you know, violates this Then what's due upon them? A sacrifice So let's say that, um, you know, particularly with the men Someone says, you know, what, I'm going to wear my underwear <laughs> And I'm going to, you know, I, I, then, then you would offer a sacrifice in that place If a person had to wear socks, let's say, because they have a wound Or if a person had some sort of need to wear something if they need to do so, all right. If they need to do so, then they're not they're not in trouble if they need to do so. Okay, so if something needs to be worn for some sort of need, then it's not a problem, inshaAllah ta'ala. But if something is being worn just because then it is going to be an issue, and obviously you need to offer a sacrifice. But even if a person is doing something out of need, they want to offer the sacrifice inshallah just to be on the safe side that's fine as well Um, number two is cutting or plucking hair so this requires to this is for men and women um, that this requires a sacrifice that does not include unintentional shutting through comb right if you're combing Uh, this happens a lot people start flipping out because a few hairs might have fallen obviously you should, you know, try not to be too, too rough when you're combing your hair or you're combing your beard because you don't want hairs to fall out but if they do, it's not a problem inshallah ta'ala if it's just unintentional uh, clipping nails for men and women requires a sacrifice now what if you're, you know, you, you break a nail by accident or what if you're a nail biter you know, and you forget at some and you, you catch yourself biting your nails in ahram do you need to go and offer a sacrifice? No because it was unintentional, it was done out of forgetfulness, it was done out of ignorance, by accident, whatever it may be. But to purposely cut the nails or trim the nails would require um, a sacrifice. Um, for sisters, covering your face with uh, with niqab in particular. Now, this is a difference of opinion amongst the scholars. Why? Because Aisha radiAllahu anha mentioned that that the women uncovered their faces, that some of the women uncovered their faces, those who traditionally covered their faces, they uncovered their faces in Hajj. But when people, you know, when, when they found that it was crowded, or when that there were riders passing by, then they covered their faces. So some of the scholars said that if a woman wears niqab, then, you know, in, you know, instead of wearing the niqab here, she could wear something that covers her face, like something like a veil that would cover her face, if she wanted to do that. But otherwise, um, it is prohibited could, could someone One of the brothers Inshallah Talk to the kids Inshallah want Anyone just Please don't hurt them Alright <laughs> But just if you Alright So For a woman that You know Generally speaking Covering the face Is prohibited uh, During the hajj for, for women as well But again If it's something That a woman does She practices niqab She wants to cover her face Because of the crowd And things of that sort Then Inshallah ta'ala, There's no penalty uh, for her, uh, a lot of people take the. There's a difference of opinion on what touching the face here means. So you'll see some sisters that wear niqab that wear a baseball cap or something of that sort. and Then there's a veil that's coming outwards. Allah knows best, but you know that that's not something that would be necessary in that case. So a person can wear something, can simply draw something over their face if they really wanted. To, if they wanted to practice that, Inshallah Taala. Uh, that was quick, man. You did good. mashallah All right. A person can continue to cover their face uh, if they wanted to, inshallah, just to, uh, you know, to, to fulfill that, um, that practice that they do otherwise. Now what about wearing the, the mask you know, because of, for sanitary purposes? Does that fall under the ruling of niqab for a brother or a sister? What do you guys think? No. Um, I personally, not only do I think it's permissible, I recommend it. All right so I recommend if a person wants to wear a mask in ihram outside of ihram for sanitary purposes there are a lot of things floating around over there <laughs> people coughing all over you and all types of things and you know it's very easy to get sick so if a person wants to wear a mask for sanitary reasons it's fine for men and for women inshallah ta'ala and it does not require a sacrifice okay uh, covering your head for men and women, or just for men? For men, requires a sacrifice. Okay, so you can't cover your head uh, while you're in ihram. Uh Let's say that you were, you had your blanket, and you know, just in a moment of forgetfulness, you put your blanket over your head. Don't, you know, don't panic. Just put your blanket down. But you can't cover your head uh, during hajj. They have this new creative idea, which is to put like a cap that has like an umbrella, like a mini umbrella. Some of you might have seen it. It looks really interesting, but it does fall under the category of covering the head. So just because the umbrella is a little bit off, you know, doesn't mean that it's not a hat. So you can't cover your head. For brothers, you cannot cover your head uh, during ihram. Um, Wearing any type of cologne or perfume would require a sacrifice as well, so any type of scent. Um, Showers are still okay. You can take as many showers as you want in ihram. You just can't use... Scented, you know, perfume or whatever it may be Or cologne in that situation What about perfumed soap? Is perfumed soap, you know, a violation of ihram? Okay It's It's one of those questionable things So it's better to avoid To be honest with you, I personally don't view it as a violation But it's still better to avoid because it's likened to Cologne or perfume or things of that sort But if a person went into a bathroom and they forgot you know, Or whatever it is, they used some perfume soap Or some scented soap and then they They realize that it was scented You don't have to panic and you don't have to scream or anything like that It's okay inshallah ta'ala, just move on There is unscented soap, there's unscented Deodorant, there's unscented All types of things inshallah, you can use those things um, And perfume Soap or scented soap simply falls Into the doubtful things that it's better To avoid inshallah ta'ala um, kissing or touching the spouse, you know, touching your spouse uh, provocatively requires obviously major istighfar. It is a violation in ihram. Um, some scholars would say it requires a sacrifice. Obviously, if you can't kiss your spouse, then you also can't kiss random people in, in, in ihram. So please, you know, keep your hands to yourself and don't, you know, don't kiss anybody else as well um, provocatively while you're in your ihram. Um, Engaging in intimacy with the spouse Would invalidate a person's hajj altogether Okay Believe it or not, it's happened all right? <laughs> I've, I've had it happen before Where we had a very interesting situation Alright But, uh, you know Make sure that you're out of ihram, Even with the umrah What ends up happening a lot of times Couples, you know, go to So I personally, my package is usually known as the honeymoon We usually have the honeymoon hajj Because we got a bunch of young couples That are, you know, holding hands and stuff like that Even while they're throwing Romantically throwing rocks at the Jamarat And Shayatin, you know Sharing the moment and taking selfies And, you know, enjoying enjoying the process Whatever it may be But but what ends up happening is that a lot of times We drive into Mecca And, you know, before the couple would finish Umrah It's not frequent, but it's happened You know, where they'd engage in intimacy And then they'd come out and they're like What do I do now? And it's like, well, you should have thought about that You know, before you finished your, your uh you know, before you did that Before you violated your ihram So obviously you know, uh, that's something that's prohibited um, During the ihram uh, You won't really have to worry about it during the hajj ihram Because there are no hotels anyway But <laughs> during the umrah ihram it does become an issue um, Entering into a marriage contract Is also not allowed in ihram So if you see someone that you like And you decide to go into a nakah You can't do that during your ihram all right? um, Hunting If you decide to hunt in Ihram That also violates your Ihram So the sacrifice for hunting Is that an animal uh, Like that which you hunted Would be given as a sacrifice What about insects? Can I kill insects in Ihram? Yes Okay You don't have to If you've got a spider on you If you've got something that's biting you You don't have to let it go Because it's Ihram Okay the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned um, things that could be killed, harmful things that could be killed while a person is in ihram. Um And he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in a hadith about the crow, uh, the, the kite, the scorpion, the mouse, and a ferocious dog. So the scholars extended beyond that as well, obviously, when it comes to insects and snakes and you know things that are harmful. Those things could all be killed in ihram. haram. Uh, scented insect repellents... Would be not permissible So I want to clarify here Because scented would be something uh, That would have a strong smell to it uh, That would be an issue during the ihram Uh, Cutting down trees If anybody likes to cut down trees for some reason Cutting down trees in the sacred precinct Also requires a sacrifice So please don't get married Cut down trees Or hunt uh, While you're in your ihram I've never had to deal with, 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 uh, with hunting Or cutting down trees There aren't many trees anyway Um now, let's say you've gone through your Haram, you've entered into that state, and you can do it again. You can talk to the kids, okay? <laughs> you've entered into your Haram, you've made your intention. You're proceeding now to the Haram. The talbiya la Baikallahum, la Baik, la la Sharika lak, la Baik, Inna Hamda wa al Nigma al Mulk la Sharika lak. The Talbiyah. Is now sunnah all the way until you reach the haram. All the way until you get to the haram. Alright? Now, it is the best form of dhikr in this state. And subhanAllah, like what what ends up happening is that when people first start in Medina, they get to the miqat in Medina, then everyone's saying the baikallahumala bake for like three, five minutes, and then within three to five minutes, then everybody's snoring in their different languages too, right? So you just hear here and people are talking and having conversations, and every once in a while everybody say La allahumma Allah, and everyone gets excited once again. Try to keep yourself engaged with the Talbiya, inshaAllah ta'ala um, as much as you can. It is the best form of dhikr in this state. Um, for for men, it's sunnah to do it loudly to encourage everybody around you to, to join in the talbiyah as well. For women, it's encouraged to do it in a lower voice. Um it's not sunnah to do it with a leader You know, as a group So what that means is that you'll see a lot of people Going throughout Umrah and Hajj Where one person is going Allah allahumma لَبَيْكَ And everybody says لَبَيْكَ Humala لَبَيْكَ And then he goes لَبَيْكَ Allah شَرِيكَ لَكَ And they all say that That's an innovation That's not sunnah So don't join in on that Don't be a part of that Just do it yourself inshaAllah uh, Throughout the process Now you get to Tawaf al-Qudum The first Tawaf The, ent- you know, the, the Tawaf of entrance um, Into uh, Into the city As you reach to the Haram <coughs> For the first time Wudu is required for Tawaf According to the strongest opinion The Prophet ﷺ mentioned That Tawaf is like Salah Okay, it's a form of prayer So Wudu is required for your Tawaf Now is it okay when I when I when I've done my you know from the miqat I put on my ihram to not go do tawaf right away to not go actually do my umrah right away is it okay for me to take some time to rest in you know in the hotel if I have a hotel whatever it may be to take a few hours and then go do it yes it is there is nothing that says that you have to go from the miqat straight to do umrah however you'll simply have to observe your ihram throughout that process while you're waiting all right, so you can go to your, your, your hotel, you can go to Aziziyah, wherever it may be You can take your time to actually go out and do the tawaf at a time that's good for you But when you do inshallah ta'ala, you should have your wudu For the brothers, they will expose their right shoulder This is only for this tawaf al-kudum, the opening tawaf Where the brothers will expose their right shoulder um, And this will end as soon as you finish tawaf Not after three circuits, (coughs) but after you finish your tawaf, you will actually cover your right shoulder. Okay, so you expose your right shoulder, you enter the haram through any one of the gates, and you look for the green light to start. Where is the green light? The green light is where, basically, it it marks where the black stone is, because your tawaf is going to start um, from... ...from where the black stone is. So you'll actually see on, in the different stories of the haram in different locations... ...you'll see where th- that the green light is marking the beginning of the black stone. Now enter through any gate insha'Allah ta'ala. You enter into the masjid with your right foot. And here you have the dua. Bismillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Allahumma khir li dhunubi wa li rahmatik. A'udhu billahi al-azim wa bi Wajhi al-kareem wa bi-sultanihi al-qadeem min al-Shaytan al-Rajim. So you would enter with this dua, inshallah ta'ala You would start right away with your tawaf Now, do you have to pray the two rak'ahs of entering into the masjid? No, because your tawaf replaces those two rak'ahs. Outside of umrah or hajj or one of those mandatory You know, one of those, uh, th- those, those tawafs If a person goes to the haram, they have the choice They could either, they could either do tawaf or they could pray two rak'ahs. Okay, like any masjid Alright But here in this situation You're replacing the two rak'ahs of entering into the masjid You will uh, go straight to your tawaf You align yourself with the black stone Okay That's the beginning of the tawaf So with that green light You would signal toward it with your hand You would simply say Allahu Akbar If you cannot kiss it or touch it Which is not something that's really easy to do in the time of Hajj and it's not good for a person to fight over it, there's nothing there's nothing super special about doing that, right? There's nothing Sunnah about fighting over it and a lot of people go way overboard because of it and some people it's like having bragging rights, like I got to kiss the black stone, like I just fought and elbowed people and moved, you know, fought my way through so I could kiss the black stone, it's not something to do in Hajj, seriously. If you find the opportunity, you go at a good time to do Umrah and Hajj and you don't have to fight your way through or elbow and things of that sort, then that's the sunnah. But the Prophet ﷺ also taught to just signal towards it simply and to say Allahu Akbar, and to proceed with the tawaf. And the Kaaba is on your left side. Don't do tawaf the opposite direction. All right. Make sure that you're going counterclockwise. The Kaaba is on your left side. Now, for the for the men, the sunnah is to do the first three circuits of tawaf. Faster It's impractical to try to run Don't harm people But there is an, there is an added pace In the first three circuits of the Tawaf. You will keep your shoulder exposed Throughout all seven And the seven circuits should not be interrupted That doesn't mean you can't take a break Like you can't sit on the side If it's getting too exhausting <coughs> But that does mean That does mean that you shouldn't leave and come back You can't leave and come back or interrupt your tawaf So you could take a break while you're doing tawaf But you can't interrupt your tawaf by actually leaving your tawaf If a person interrupts the seven circuits of tawaf What do they do? Let's say that you have to leave When you come back Do you pick up from where you left off? Or do you start over? Because tawaf is like salah Then it's like starting over So you would start over Okay now if it's if there's a hardship involved or if a person needs to use the restroom frequently or there's urinary incontinence whatever it may be if there's hardship involved it's difficult for you to maintain wudu for example throughout all seven then you pick up where you left off inshallah taala and there's no problem but ideally what you want to do uh, is that if you don't have that need then you should start off uh, from where you left off believe it or not number 12 here if you doubt how many circuits you've completed all right, a lot of times you think it's simple It's seven circuits But you might get confused And you will second guess yourself And you'll start to doubt And it is healthy to have someone with you Or to you know, to count with somebody As you're going through But if you have a doubt What do you do? عَلَى Just like the Prophet ﷺ said about prayer Then build on that which you're certain about So if you don't know if it's the fourth one Or the fifth one You will assume that it's what? The fourth one Alright? And it's good to have you know, one, one person with you or two people with you and you're counting uh, together. If you cannot, if you, you know, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is to touch al rukn al-Yamani, the Yemeni corner, which is the corner right before the, before the black stone. If you can't touch it, then you don't signal towards it. A lot of people will be signaling towards it. Why did the Prophet ﷺ used to touch a rukn al-Yamani, the Yemeni corner, and then he would touch the black stone? The Prophet actually, you know, uh, used to touch it because it's one of the original foundations of the Kaaba. The Kaaba was built by Ibrahim A.S. in a rectangular shape. Okay, it was actually rectangular. So there was the Yemeni corner, there was the black stone, and where you see Hijr al you see that semicircle. Those corners of that, that actually used to be part of the Kaaba. So the Prophet would touch a Rukn al-Yamani as he passed by it. Because it was one of the original foundations. He wouldn't kiss it. He wouldn't do anything special with it. He would simply touch it as he was walking around. If you're there, touch it. Otherwise, you don't have to sit there and give it the peace sign and, and you know start to, start to signal towards it or anything of that sort. The sunnah du'a, generally speaking in talaf, it's open for you. Make du'a in any way that you can. Any du'as that you can. And it's good to plan them out. If you want to have one circuit for your family or two circuits for your family whatever it is one circuit for this one circuit for that to have it planned out inshallah ta'ala because it's very hectic and it's not it's not you know the, the dua that you do in tawaf the nature of the dua that you do in tawaf it's not like this dua where you're you know nice and calm and you have this time to it's loud it's 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 crazy it's hectic so it's good to have in your mind what you're going to do with each circuit inshallah ta'ala and to dedicate each circuit But the sunnah dua between ar Rukn al-Yamani, between the Yemeni corner, and between the black stone is Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-Nar. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-Nar. This is the dua that the Prophet would repeat between ar Rukn al-Yamani and the black stone. Other than that, there is no prescribed dua for tawaf. All the du'as are open. Make du'a as an individual. You don't have to join in with a group. You don't have to hold a book. Continue to make du'a uh, for yourself. When you complete your seventh circuit, you will go all the way to Maqam Ibrahim. It's just slightly past the black stone. Again, you'll align yourself with it. So you don't actually have to go to Maqam Ibrahim, but you'll keep walking until you pass it, which is just slightly beyond uh, the black stone. Then you will place it it between yourself and the Kaaba, And you would cover your shoulder And you would recite وَاتَّخِذُوا min maqami The ayah in the Qur'an And take the station of Ibrahim السلام, As a place of prayer You pray two rak'ahs Reciting silently The sunnah is to recite Surat Al-Kafirun In the first rak'ah, Surah Al-Ikhlas in the second rak'ah, Just like the sunnah Fajr Okay and then, you know, and, and then you would proceed to the rest of it. Okay, so you'd proceed to, to drink your Zamzam, and you'd proceed to the sa'i Now, again, the idea here is you go and you complete your seven. On the seventh circuit, you move beyond Maqam Ibrahim. There is no way to perfectly align yourself, and if it's crowded, you can pray anywhere in the Masjid after you pass Maqam Ibrahim. Okay, so there's no way to perfectly align yourself, but the point is, you say what Maqami Ibrahim a-musalla. You would recite that. You would pray your two rakahs, and then inshallah ta'ala you go into your sa'i. Uh, so for now we're actually going to go ahead and break for al Isha. After the Isha prayer inshallah ta'ala we'll restart, uh, and we'll go into the sa'i and exiting ihram, and into the steps of hajj inshallah ta'ala. So Jazakumullahu khayran, we'll go ahead and we'll break, and please do try to come back, sisters in particular, try to come back inshallah ta'ala, so that we can start immediately after the Salah. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Thank <laughs>